I'm Bill Castle, and this is Free Expression. This program is all about conveying the Christian message from a Catholic point of view and defending the liberty which makes it possible to do that. We talk with creative, interesting people about developing wholesome games and books for young people and channeling the harrowing experience of cancer into poetry. Join us, sit back, and enjoy some free expression. Breast cancer is a terrifying diagnosis, the announcement of which has different effects on different people. Some collapse under the shock of realizing they've been given this heavy cross to bear and they just give up. Others pour all their faith and energy into fighting for recovery. And some write poems. Katie Bowser Hudson is the third type. She's a poet who's confronted her own mortality with a compelling collection of verses and essays. Now I lay me down to fight. A poet writes her way through cancer. From InterVarsity Press. Katie, thanks for being with us. I'm so glad to be with you, Bill. Please, if you would, give us a little overview of how this disease has come upon you and the choices you've made facing it. Well, I feel like I should start. When I'm in conversations with people, it feels important to say that I don't have cancer now. (laughs) Because uh, it leaves people with a certain tension if they don't hear that. You know, there's always the wonder if it will come back. Sure. Um, In 2017, I was 40 years old, and I had a 3-year-old and a 6-year-old. And um, my husband was a touring musician, and... I was making things here and there the way that artists do when they have kids. I was staying at home with my kids and homeschooling my daughter and figuring out how to write write music, write poems, write between things and with, with my kids around. A friend told me about a scholarship to go study poetry on Martha's Vineyard that was available specifically for artists who were parents, which was amazing. And um, I ended up getting one of those and going to Martha's Vineyard, and I had this whole this kind of this fairly magical week of studying poetry all week and, and really having a chance to sharpen my skills. It, it really helped me kind of up my game and get ready to go back as an artist into my daily life. If I were writing a story, this would be <laughs> kind of a little-did-she-know moment. I went back. I got on a ferry from Martha's Vineyard. I went to my friend's house to stay in Boston and I, as I was getting ready to get in the shower, I looked and found out that um, my breast was hot and red and puckered. And when I Googled that, I found out that there was nothing that fit that, hmm. <laughs> except for mastitis, and I wasn't nursing a baby anymore, or inflammatory breast cancer, which is a really rare, really aggressive cancer. So assuming that that was a likely option, because I didn't know any anymore, I, I got to a mammogram as quickly as I could. And yeah, they confirmed that that's what it was, which is kind of amazing. It's, it's often misdiagnosed as well. And got myself back home to Nashville. And I was in chemo, and I think a matter of three days, and had spent the next year fighting a really aggressive cancer. 
thankfully don't have cancer now, but it was a really, really hard year of working through having to face the possibility of dying, a very, very real possibility. I, I was given absolutely no assurance on the front end that we were going to lick this. It was by, by no means a surety. And the way that I felt being a child of God and being a writer was to write. That was how I prayed. That was how I processed. That was how I looked for the meaning and the story that God was telling in the middle of something awful. Hmm. Well, something like this is is so startling and, and it's, it's so overwhelming. I mean, it, it comes to dominate your life, I'm sure. It really seems like you were facing a sort of spiritual journey, almost a, a kind of a pilgrimage, if you will. I don't know how it couldn't be, yeah. <laughs> in a sense. I mean, I think anyone who has to... Um, but yeah, I, I, I hear what you're saying, and yes, I think being a person who is a follower of Jesus, I think I did go, okay, well, everybody is going to die at some point. It doesn't change anything about what I know that's true. Dying it was already in the picture. As a follower of Jesus, I will die once at some point, and then I will live again. <laughs> hmm. But it absolutely, you know, you think about those things, and you consider what the big story that God is telling means in your life, but it gets very, very nitty-gritty when, when death gets that close to your face, when death is breathing down your neck, you know? Right, right, yeah, absolutely. What kinds of themes did it bring up that you would have explored in an artistic way? Did you reflect on your life experiences, your family, your children? Or what did it stir up inside of you? Oh, gosh, that's really interesting. Oh, where do I begin? I think that's, that's why I wrote poetry. <laughs> right. you know, because I think poetry is... I think I found that I, I went pretty immediately to poetry as my way of coping because poetry helps you get down to the absolute basics of what you're thinking about. It's language that's stripped of a lot of extra. So I dealt with the daily mundane pain and the kind of slow decline of it. Um, I dealt with how is it true that God is is loving while I'm going through something so awful. I dealt with the nature of evil a lot and the nature of um, a broken world. So it was really interesting. I, I think I hit these themes a lot in in my book because the, the same things are true way down at a cellular level in our bodies as are true at a, a super macro level, that everything is broken deep down. I think, well, God claims every square inch of creation, and also it's true that all of creation is has been broken by the fall. And so I explored that in my body, in my life, what that means. Um, yeah. I, I have one poem where I compared cancer and global warming. <laughs> <laughs> because there seemed to be so many things that went together on that. That's an interesting pairing, cancer and global warming. <laughs> but the, 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 the one point you raise, I, I think, is very, very basic to our entire Christian journey. How do you justify, how do you reconcile the idea of loving God with something as horrible as cancer? Oh, you know, um, I'm in the middle right now. I, I see, I mean... We all live in a world that we know is broken. I mean, I, I think it's very hard to go through life ignoring that. 
I, I don't know how you can have how you can build any kind of framework that works on a daily basis in your world at all without um, whether whether you're a theist, whether you believe in God or not, without seeing that things are so broken. I mean, we're watching war break out around the world, mm. and we we and we watched a pandemic rip through people's bodies um, over the last several years. It's it, it's just a broken world, and yet. I think it's very hard to avoid looking and seeing that that this world is unbelievably amazing. And as somebody who believes that God has been telling this same long story the whole time, and who believes that Jesus Christ lived and died and rose again and sent the Holy Spirit into the world and, and who created everything from the beginning, when I hear that story and I hear that God is actually doing something about the brokenness in the world, and it's actively at work in the world. And when I spend time before God's loving gaze, you know, I was able to do that in the middle of cancer, too. Cancer only took what I already knew and what I already thought and kind of confirmed it for me and made me feel it in my body. Hmm. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, it kind of does. I, I can see where such a, a startling and painful and difficult experience would bring you face-to-face with the basics. What is true and uh, what is important? Are there any lines that you can think of that might kind of give some of the flavor of your writing in this book? Can I read you a poem, Bill? Yeah. This one is called Cancer Poet. Cancer is an overgrowth, a kudzu, tangling and strangling legitimate life. Chemo is a killing, a burning out, burning down to ashy carbon indiscriminately. But cancer, did you know that I am a poet? My job is to cull through the chaos with tweezers and magnifier. I have wings on shoulder blades and ankles, just big enough for hovering me inches above the terrain traversing without smothering my subject. With pen and pocket and fingers and eyes, I cipher meaning, siphoning liquid beauty that seeps from the edges into a tiny vial, taking pains with my pain. It fruits sweetly. If in this year's ravaging, I eke an ounce of beauty, it will outweigh all of your ashy remnant. I can paste it onto my foot soles and stick me to the incinerated earth where I will wait for the rich loam, tear-soaked and fertile, to live. That is what poets do, Cancer. (laughs) Now I lay me down to fight. A poet writes her way through Cancer. Katie Bowser Hudson, thank you for being with us. Where where can uh, people find this? I assume it's it's going to be in general distribution, Amazon, and all the rest. Yes, you can find it at Amazon. At you can, if you don't see it at your local bookstore, you can certainly request it there. But Amazon and Barnes and Noble and InterVarsity Press. Yep, you can find it all the places. Well, thank you very much. Uh, keep on writing. <laughs> Fight the beast in the best way you can. I am grateful to have the opportunity to speak with you. I love that. Thank you so much, Phil.
If there's one thing kids love, it's online games. And if there's one thing mom and dad are nervous about giving their kids access to, it's online games. There's plenty of reason for parents to be wary. Today's games immerse players in a very dark universe filled with intense violence, questionable moral themes, and near-pornographic imagery. Hey, we aren't talking Pac-Man here. There are people trying to develop online recreational materials that can engage kids and calm parental anxiety. One is Brent Dusing. He's president of True Play, a Texas-based company that offers Christian games attracting families and gaining quite a bit of exposure. Brent, thanks very much for being with us. Great to be with you today. Thank you. What is the problem with most of the video games we see today? There, there, there's so much that's questionable out there. What do people really have to be careful about? You know, I think a lot of parents are really concerned about all the content their kids are getting. There's a lot of toxic content out there. It's, you know, too, too sexualized, uh, hyper-violent. There's a lot of uh, negative results that have happened as a result of that. You know, anxiety, suicide, depression rates are all-time highest for children. Only 31% of children in America now believe in God. Think about that and how, how quickly our society has changed because uh, kids, are, kids are on screens over 52 hours a week and they're getting in, in just obliterated by really negative content. I can certainly understand why children are drawn to these things. I mean, visually, some of them are just dazzling. I can see where they can easily get sucked into this world. Absolutely. Well, you know, there are... Certainly a lot of video games that, you know, the quality has continued to rise in the industry year in and year out. I think, unfortunately, parents have had to choose entertainment options for their kids and either say, okay, I have to, I'm going to choose something my kid's going to love, but it may go against my values, hmm. right? It may go against what God says, or I'm going to choose something that aligns with my values, but the quality is really not there. True Play is here to say you don't have to make that choice anymore. You can choose something. We have, we've released a platform with a bunch of great video games and a bunch of comics and other great content where your child will love it. It's great quality. It's fun. Uh, we, we get feedback from families all the time, but it also contains values and truths from the Bible about you know, God's love and about their identity as children of God. What age group are we talking about here? What's your primary audience? Typically in the 5 to 12-year-old range, although funny, we have a lot of parents enjoy playing it too. We have a lot of adults enjoy playing it with their kids and try to compete with their kids for high scores. Now, at the upper end of that age range particularly, you're dealing with young people who have, been, have seen a lot of stuff online and are probably pretty sophisticated. So I would imagine you face a kind of a challenge to present a game that will engage them and at the same time not be offensive or distorting. We have world-class professionals who work here, uh, people with experience from just world-leading you know, game companies. From Amazon, we have a gentleman who, our head of engineering, designed the algorithm at Amazon that split this package into multiple groups, and this part will get here faster. We have a world-class writing team, phenomenal artists and designers. So everything we do is done with the utmost level of quality. And so we build games that do engage, that do entertain, and we see that. We get feedback. We look at how people are using our games, and we're releasing new content every month. We release a new game, new comics, new videos, new things for kids to continue to do. So True Play really is a living, breathing service with new content all the time. I know that most of the games that are out there are very elaborate stories. They have intricate plots, all kinds of little surprises in the process. What sorts of themes are your games built around? 
Some of our games are based on the Bible. So we have a game called Stained Glass, where you collect stained glass pieces, and the stained glass windows come to life, and a character from the Bible comes and tells you their story. Hmm. We have another new game coming out later this year called King David's Battles, where you get to play, I think, the most exciting story of the Old Testament. You get to play King David, right, and all of the trials and battles that he goes through. We also have a new set of uh, characters we've created called the, the Rimverse, Maple and Oliver and Benjamin and Lucas, and these are characters who, they they look ridiculous. They're animal characters in different animal costumes, but they have very real personalities. Uh, Maple is very headstrong, believes in God, but doesn't really care about other people's point of view. Ava's parents are divorced, and she's getting bullied at school. Oliver is adopted, and Lucas's brother passed away about a year ago, and he's on the autism spectrum. And so all of our children and main characters have different backstories, different personalities, but that feel very real to a modern audience, but all of them are on these huge adventures and journeys where God is a real part of their story. There's prayer, the Bible is discussed, and, and sometimes God even shows up for them. Oh, oh, really? God makes an appearance in some of these games. Oh, that's pretty interesting. Absolutely. He's, he's, he's with us all the time, right? Talk about first-class casting. <laughs> where can people find out about these things? Are, are, are they available through, uh, I don't know, electronic stores, or you sell them online, or how, how's it work? Or yeah, we, where, we sell where it online. So True Play is one app. It's on your phone or your iPad, and it's got, uh, or your, your, your Android you know, tablets or Android phones. You can download it from the App Store, from the Google Play Store. You can also go to our website, trueplaygames.com. You subscribe, and then you get access to all of our content. So it's, it's, it's just it's dozens and dozens and dozens of hours of content, dozens of choices of content, various different games that you can play for hours each, videos, comics, and all kinds of content that are available right at your child's fingertips in an unlimited way. Well, thank you very much. Brent Dusing, trueplay.com, T-R-U-P-L-A-Y. That's where they go. Thank you very much for being with thank us and so telling much. us about this. It thank sounds you. like okay. fun. Bye-bye. a period and a location that can readily stimulate a reader's imagination. Several famous book series are set there. One thinks of Ellis Peters' brother Cadfile historical mysteries, for instance. Young readers are especially drawn to stories about knights in shining armor or great noble quests or mysterious monasteries and spooky castles. Anthony Barone Cullink, an attorney and homeschool specialist, makes 12th century England the setting for his Harwood Mysteries book series. Aimed at teens and tweens, these novels have gained a considerable following and won numerous awards. He's now up to number five, Murder at Penwood Manor. Tony's been with us before, and he's back to tell us about this latest adventure. Hey, thanks for taking time to speak with us, Tony. Thanks so much for having me back on. I really appreciate being on your show and getting to tell your listeners a little bit about this newest release. Yeah, give us an overview on these stories. What's the series about? So the Harwood Mysteries, and that's Harwood, H-A-R-W-O-O-D, Murder at Penwood Manor is the fifth book in the Harwood Mysteries. That series takes place in 12th century England. It began with book one, Shadow in the Dark, which was published by Loyola Press in 2020. 
We've been releasing them pretty steadily since then. October 24th of this year, book five comes out, and then the final book will come out next year about this time, and that will complete the series. But essentially, I'm following a, uh, a boy and two girls. Uh, Zan is my male protagonist, and his two friends are Lucy and Christina. And when the series begins, they're about 11, 12 years old. By the time we get to book five, they're about 14, 15 years old. And so you could see each book sort of follows them a little bit further along in their journey. And they do go chronologically. And they are historical fiction, but they're historical fiction with a very kind of a spooky vibe to them, very adventuresome and mysterious. I was kind of going for kind of a Harry Potter feel in a Christian setting, you know, with a historical fiction background. 12th century England is a great time to write in because you've got King Henry II, you've got the Third Crusade, which is about to begin. By the time I get to Book 6, the Third Crusade is kicking off. And so it's an exciting time in history, and a lot of our students, homeschoolers or otherwise, are learning about the Middle Ages, the Crusades, they're learning about monasticism and feudalism and all that stuff, and I make sure all of that makes it into the series. So many books are questionable, even if you start out with an engaging story, you might fall upon some kind of a scene that's so hypersexualized or extremely violent or upsetting in some way. You face an interesting challenge trying to create stories that are engaging for young people without getting too deeply into those difficult areas. Absolutely. And that, I mean, that's really the reason I wrote the series. We, you know, as you mentioned, we were a homeschooling family. Uh, my youngest has just graduated college, so now um, all of my kids are out of their teens. But we were a homeschooling family, and that's exactly the kind of books we wanted to avoid. And there were way too many of them out there. So that was the reason I wrote the series. Uh, but at the same time, I don't want to, you know, it's not a sugar-coated kind of a series. I mean, the Middle Ages were kind of a violent time. And so, you know, you're trying to navigate for younger readers some difficulties of real life to kind of illustrate what the Middle Ages would have actually been like, especially for a peasant boy like Zan living among monks, uh, essentially at, at this Benedictine Abbey, Harwood Abbey. And then, of course, you know, there, there was a violent element at that time. And so trying to portray it, but not in a way that would be inappropriate for the age range, definitely was one challenge. And there is, at the, uh, book five, Murder at Penwood Manor is my murder mystery. And each book has its own genre, if you will, uh, even though they're all historical fiction in the same series. So this one sort of is that, you know, the characters are solving this murder, kind of like my, my homage to Agatha Christie, perhaps, a whodunit. But there is a bit of a sweet romance that's been building, which is coming to a head in this book. And, of course, it's a sweet romance, meaning there's nothing at all inappropriate, no scenes that you have to worry about. Uh, otherwise, I wouldn't have gotten the Catholic Writers Guild seal of approval. You've gotten quite a lot of recognition here. You've, you have the Association of Catholic Publishers, Gold Medal, the Independent Book Publishers Award. It's, it's been well recognized. Yeah, I've been very, very lucky, you know, and blessed that uh, not only did Loyola do such a great job, you know, with the editing, but they really put together a strong product with maps on the interiors, and the covers are beautiful, and everything is just very well done. Uh, like you said, the series has got over a dozen uh, book awards, 
including a gold medal for each of the four books. Now, book five hasn't, you know, been submitted yet for any awards, but the entire series has done very well. And uh, like you said, the Association of Catholic Publishers, the Catholic Media Association. So they're recognizing it, I think, as, as good reading for the exact audience that I really wanted to reach. Having dabbled a bit in the area of historical fiction myself, I know that to write something like this requires quite a bit of research and preparation. You want to try and get the details right, but at the same time, you come across the realities of living in that particular period that aren't readily understandable because life was different in very many ways. Uh, It takes a lot to try and balance out authenticity with uh, understandability. (laughs) How How do you go about all of that? You know, it's a constant balancing act. Like I say, it's historical fiction. It's a little heavier on the fiction than on the history, because you do have to take a little bit of license. You know, the human nature hasn't changed, right? People still today want what they always wanted, and the same temptations and joys that we have today are the same things that people always had. I mean, you read the Bible, and it's very current in that sense. But I wanted also, you know, the characters to be very accessible to our younger readers. So although it is historically accurate, what it, you know, it was frustrating for me to do the research that needed to be done because it seemed like I couldn't quite get some of the details right. And eventually I actually had to consult an expert. Dr. Jennifer Paxton at Catholic University is an expert in Western, actually 12th century English monasticism, which my book is set in a 12th century English monastery. So she helped me with book one, especially to kind of get the world building right. Because, you know, despite all the research, I was still kind of missing, I think, some of the, you know, little fine points. So she helped me with that. And I've done a lot of research, you know, as the series has gone on. And, and, you know, once you build that world, it's a lot easier to continue to write in it, uh, you know, because you've already done all the heavy lifting, you know, in the earlier books. Well, I assume that uh, Loyola has these available through all the usual outlets. You can get them at uh, Amazon and Christian bookstores and what have you. Yeah, and of course, Loyola has them also through their site, but hopefully you can find them in your local Catholic bookstore. And if they're not there, ask them to stock them. I always try to you know, first send people to their local stores if they can. I mean, I, Amazon is great, but I know that there's a lot of struggling mom and pop, you know, bookstores out there um, that would appreciate people's business too. Yeah, that's true. In many ways, it's a tough time for uh, for book retailers, uh, whether they're Catholic or uh, evangelical or secular. It's it's a tough market these days. Absolutely. So I've been super happy that Loyola, you know, took me on and developed the series and, and really allowed me to go with it a full six books which has been great well it sounds like these books are great for inquisitive teens and tweens murder at penwood manor number five in the harwood mysteries book series anthony barone calling hey thanks an awful lot for taking time to be with us and telling us about this good luck with these books thanks so much bill i really appreciate it and uh, i hope your listeners will benefit from them us next time when we explore other aspects of religious communication and look deeper into the great Christian heritage of free expression. 
Free Expression with Bill Castle is a production of Good Shepherd Catholic Radio and Company Publications, where good books, good music, and good radio are always good company. Dan Curris provided technical assistance. Theme and incidental music are by Dan Adam. The program was produced and directed by Bill Castle. This is Good Shepherd Catholic Radio.